Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Mr. Snow. After everything you've seen out there in the world. What are the Hunger Games for? Are you, are you coming to the tree? The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things didn't happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me. That I was still of value. Welcome to the Capitol. You look like you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, but I'm your mentor. A rebel. I am going to get you out of here. You want to protect people. And it's essential to accept what human beings are. And what it takes to control them. Let's see you use that famous snow charm. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is Kyle Arking from the Kyle Arking YouTube channel. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And also joining us is Carly. Hello. And Carly, since you are the new, uh, since you're the um, newest guest on this podcast, uh, first time, mm-hmm. this is your uh, annual uh, annual show. <laughs> or your, mm-hmm. what is it called? An annual, not annual, but like a, it's your first time. Uh, what yes. movie are we talking about today? The Hunger Games. Ballast, songbirds, and snakes. That is correct. That is uh, that is great. We are here. We are finally here to talk about Hunger Games. It's been a long, long time since we've talked about this franchise on the show. Uh, since 2015, uh, with the end of the Mockingjay fr- uh, Part 2-parter, and the, of course the aforementioned end of the franchise at that point. Um, it's been a while... Um, I have said my thoughts before on the franchise, and I will share them uh, after uh, my my uh, my guests get a chance to. But uh, starting with you, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the Hunger Games franchise? And then uh, Carly, uh, follow suit. Well, I feel like the Hunger Games franchise is very much a part of my teenage years, as it is for a lot of. Um, a lot of people my age and I think that it it is definitely like the second book series because like you had Harry Potter that was like where I essentially um grew up with in terms of book to movie adaptations and then Hunger Games kind of filled the void that Harry Potter left now the difference with Hunger Games is that Whereas Harry Potter had seven books, Hunger Games only had three, so it was a much shorter amount mm-hmm. of time. But the uh, 
impression the Hunger Games had on me and many others, I think, could not be um, underestimated because it really did kind of take off in a way that I don't think any other book series to film has taken off since. And, um, well, at least, at least YA teenage, because, like, you could say, like, Fifty Shades of Grey did, um, that afterwards, but very different audience. Very different audience for those two. I don't know if you could label it as YA. Like, yeah, um, it's... It's something adult. Well, we we can say that, but oh, it, it's um, adult. It's the A <laughs> Y A. But yeah, me. I read the first Hunger Games book before the movie came out, um, and I actually wasn't as big of a fan on the ending of that novel. And when I saw the film, I actually really loved the film even more than the book. Um, I really loved what Gary Ross did with that first movie. I thought that Jennifer Lawrence, you know, really, this is like her, um, breakout role. And then like going into the rest of the series, I read Catching Fire. It's my favorite Hunger Games book, but I didn't love Catching Fire, the movie as much as the first one, because I thought that the book was too faithful to the, um, well, the movie was too faithful to the book. Um, and I'm, I think I'm rare people that actually prefers the first Hunger Games over the second. And then, uh, for me, I also, um, I think the third is a really interesting one because you're talking about it being split into two parts. And I think that, I think they did the best of what they could do, but at the same time, I think it was the wrong decision to split it in half because, I do really enjoy the first part, but once again, it feels like part one. It doesn't feel like a complete story. And I do find the ending of Mockingjay part two to be a bit underwhelming. And um, it's the same with the book. So I think, unfortunately, the series left um, on a bit of a sour note for me. It wasn't what I expected because I think for me Harry Potter is still that series that really you know it's just perfect to me like it begins perfectly and it ends perfectly um whereas the Hunger Games I think begins perfectly but the ending is anticlimactic um and underwhelming so I I I mean I still love I still think that the movies are quite good all of them but um, I hadn't even really rewatched those films since they released, and it was fun, you know, when this Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes book came out. I um, it came out right in the midst of the pandemic. It came out literally like in the middle of twenty twenty, and I bought it like the day of, and I read it, and I love that book. It is my second favorite Hunger Games novel. And I could not wait to see how they would make that into a film because it, it's a different book. It has different characters. It has a different type of structure to it than the other movies and books. So um, it was really fun to get back into that world. And as we can talk about in this um, 
episode, I really, I personally think they did a um, excellent job with adapting um, mm-hmm. the book. And Carly. Yeah, so I'm very much the same way as Kyle. I grew up with these YA um, dystopian adaptations with the Hunger Games, Divergent, all that. Um, And funny enough, I had rewatched all the movies before I went to see them, and I just fell more in love with them because I hadn't seen them in years. And so with this movie, it was just amazing to see how they did it especially with the director of Catching Fire coming back and the rest of the movies with it. Um, I just thought it was fantastic. Um, I have not read the book yet. I do have it, though, to read. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Okay, so for me, um, to reiterate my kind of thoughts back from 20... And my thoughts have probably evolved a little bit better in 2015. So, and Kyle, you mentioned Harry Potter. I mean, you, you're forgetting, you know, in the middle of, you know, that's in between Harry Potter and Hunger Games is Twilight. So you're forgetting the Twilight Saga quite a bit. And um, to me, I feel like that's kind of more influential. The only thing is, I think Susan Collins used kind of the structure of a love triangle to really kind of get people in, but you stay for the war, the rebellion, the, you know, is Katniss mm-hmm. Everdeen the the chosen one by popular by popular opinion, by, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, by the populace. So that's what to me, like why Hunger Games, you know, to me like was like this perfect culmination of everything that had been building and it was smart, like, commentary. Like, you... It was, like, this perfect... Like, if you got the right director, you got the right screenwriter, the right team involved in this movie, you could make this into, like, a compelling four-quadrant, you know, adult, but also adult thriller that also, you know, teenagers and kids can get into. Even Mm -hmm. though the story is about, you know, kids killing kids, it's still a story that is very relevant to the times that you know, the books were being written in, which was the late mid to late two thousands, which was all about like the Bush era and the politics of going back, going to Iraq and Mm -hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan. So, I mean, it was written, you know, and also to count, and it was also written in this time of, you know, economic, you know, recession. So the books were very much reflecting on the, the fallacies of what had come out in, you know, in the Bush era. So it, Mm -hmm. So to me, like, it was this perfect reflection, you know, going forward and, you know, and to me, I felt like Gary Ross, to me, I felt like laid the perfect, like, kind of template. Yes, it's all shaky cam. Yes, it's, you know, there's little little bits of blood here and there. It's not stylized. It's, you know, like, you know, to go to all the complaints, it's like, well, I mean, it's a movie that, A, only costs, like, 80 million to make, so it's not going to look like the most amazing movie imaginable and Mm -hmm. like he had to make this in like less than a year and a half so Mm -hmm. i feel like gary ross like for what he was given and what he had to do you know he really stepped up the play and really gave us a very good adaptation that actually not only was a good adaptation but expanded the 
the lore about expanded the kind of mm-hmm. you know the story i mean we got to see you know president snow with west bentley's character we got to see more of hamish we got to see i mean we kind of got a whole you know it's one of it's it's the it's my kind of favorite i think of an adaptation where you read the book and it's in first person first person and then you translate it and you don't really lose like all the, the stuff you love for that character but you get to see more of the world you get to see mm-hmm. more of you know pan am and how the capitals are running and how the world is watching you know, mm-hmm. this one event, the Hunger Games, and how it's, like, transforming, you know, very small, incrementally, you know, into this rebellion. So, I, so to me, I really like the first movie. The second movie, I always feel like Francis Lawrence kind of got thrown under the bus because he had to make that also so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also had to follow in the footsteps of Gary Ross and make a bigger sequel and also catching fire by its structure is very similar to the first movie. It's only when you, it's only like when you're reading the novel and you're getting more, you know, character development, do you realize it's it, you find the differences, but how do you bring all that in to a two and a half hour movie? And that's why for me it's like I don't know if they could have made a better movie or if they could have just split that one into two parts and then have Mockingjay its own movie. Um, but to me, it it always kind of feels like Francis Lawrence was the hired gun, and then and I actually really like the Mockingjay movies. I really respond to those very very well. I think francis lawrence kind of finally found like his voice he finally kind of found like what he wanted to do with the with these movies and in a way you know i agree the ending of mockingjay the novel is very much it's frustrating because katniss basically has nothing to do with anything that happens Mm -hmm. everything just kind of happens around her and, in, and even worse, like the two like middle-aged men, um, Hamish and Plutarch, heavens be, they kind of just sit and tell her at the end. So this is what happened while you were on a morphine addiction. You know, this is what happened. You know, this is what's going on. This is who we really elected. You know, all that, and then all the stuff about the Hunger Games going to the Capitol has been, been exposed. Like, so it's just like everyone just recapped everything what happened. Mm-hmm you know, to her in the book, you know, and it's, and then you're like, and then she just like ends up with Peta and you're just like, okay. In the movies, I felt like they did such a good job of establishing why Peta is like their, their relationship between Peta and Katniss so well. And, and also kind of doing the Lord of the Rings style ending, you know, they established a better way forward of like doing the mm-hmm. ending, you know, and to me, I felt like when we got to the end of the, the final scene, I was like, no, this is how it should be. And I think it was and all the stuff with her, like being absent, you know, I feel like, you know, it's not as big of a deal because I think we're seeing it visually how, like Katniss after a certain point just is useless. Like she basically just is in the grand scheme of things. She's just nothing more but a face, Mm. you know? And I, and then I think Sage Hyden, you know, during the midst of the pandemic and the George Floyd, uh, 
you know, the George Floyd uh, incident made this video about how rebellions, you know, are started and how rebellions are, it's starting with groups. It's not just one person leading the charge. It's multiple factions of things like happening. And he described, and he, cause he was kind of like rewatching the Hunger Games as a way to figure out like, you know, why did Collins make the decision to just basically take all agency out of, you know, Katniss Everdeen. And, and he was like, no, Collins basically, and I'm kind of, and again, I'm paraphrasing, uh, you know, I'm sorry if you have a different interpretation of what he says in the movie or in the video, but basically what he was implying is that like Collins basically wrote like how this rebellion would actually happen. It wouldn't just be, you know, Katniss Everdeen would just sprout out everywhere and just like shoot arrows at everything. Like that's not like there would just be multiple factions of this rebellion happening. And by virtue of splitting the movie into two parts, you can't actually show that. Mm -hmm. Um, To some people that wasn't as successful to other people, it, you know, it was successful. So, um, and I kind of land in the, you know, I think they did the best they could Again, much like the Twilight franchise, the Hunger Games franchise, it started in 2012, and then the final movie in, um, comes out in 2015. So well, four movies in the span of three years. Well, one thing about the Twilight thing, for me, like Harry Potter and Twilight kind of exist on they exist on the same timeline essentially because mm-hmm. Harry Potter and Twilight, um, I mean Twilight ended about a year after Harry Potter, but it, you know, for me, like, they're the same, whereas Hunger Games came out, like, right when Twilight ended, and then it continued on into 2015, which then we see Star Wars come back, and Star Wars kind of then takes the charge the next few years, and of course, we have the MCU. Young woman leading the rebellion, you know, yeah. a new rebellion. So, I mean, we see different things, but it is interesting to me how, like, they're just, I don't know if it's because um, kids aren't really reading to this degree anymore, but it just feels like I really do miss that time period when we had those. Um, Hunger Games books, how popular they were, and then we got those movies. It, I'm hoping maybe um, um, Percy Jackson coming out on Disney Plus this um, next month will maybe reignite the interest in um, book two um, screen adaptations. Because, I mean, we also had Game of Thrones, but um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. There, and we had but... Divergent and Maze Runner. I think Divergent was in the midst of Hunger Games, if I'm not mistaken. That's yeah. incorrect. Maze Runner's a good one, Carly, because they did, didn't they finish that storyline? Like, I think the Death Cure was, like, the last one, like that. That is, they, and they <laughs> actually just did a straight trilogy instead of, you know, f- splitting Death Cure into, which makes sense because the Maze Runner novels, they're not, like, you know, shelf-busting, they're not like these, you know, they're not like these Bible-length, you know, novels. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like a, just like a, a small little paperback. You know, it's just like this big. Like, they're just that big. Yeah. Divergent is the, um, 
it's it sounds like a harsh word, but I feel like it has to be said. It is the failure of the of I think the YA. Well, I mean, I I would say Mortal Instruments in the city of. Um, well, that's like no, no, Mortal Instruments yeah. is the is city like, of bone. Yeah, well, but I think that was like the start of it, but really, Divergent really is like the the Emperor's new, like the Emperor's new clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the thing with Divergent is, I mean, I like the first movie, um, but like they just and they just don't finish it. So, so, like at least with Hunger Games, the story's finished. You know, at least with mm-hmm. Maze Runner, the story's finished. But when you have a series that doesn't actually finish its story. It's, it's a real shame. It, well, and that is the problem, and that is like the weird. That's like the weird legacy of Divergent is that it bombed the third one. And the thing about the Divergent franchise and the Maze Runner, and I'll even say this for the Maze Runner franchise as well, I really do think they wouldn't have done. I think they would have canceled the Maze Runner as well if Scott Tri- Scor- Scorch Trials didn't break even because. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it made less, and in the Maze Runner already was like it was. It barely crossed a hundred million. So the only way that movie got made was that it was shot. You know, it was shot on a sixty-one million dollar budget. And same with Death Cure. Death Cure was also going to be shot with you know the same kind of budget. So, and each one like progress, like every movie got like progressively like less and less and less. So I feel mm. like. And even the Hunger Games, you know, Mockingjay Part 2, I think even made less than Mockingjay Part 1. So it was already like a declining, like the YA franchise, I think, was already declining. And I don't know why other than like just the movies were just not that interesting. Like people were just kind of like, this is, you know, they would watch the Divergent trailer and the Hunger Games while watching the Hunger Games. And they're just like, isn't this the like, Did we... Why are they? Yeah. Is, is this the same movie? You know, and um, have to emphasize how big of a star Jennifer Lawrence was because, um, like, no disrespect to Shailene Woodley, no disrespect to Dylan O'Brien, but like, mm-hmm. when you look at these franchises, um, like Jennifer Lawrence, she was the it girl at that time. Like, was, and like her stardom just rose throughout the Hunger Games movies to the point where, um, you know, by twenty fifteen, she's now leading other the other movies coming out, with Passengers, um, the following year, whether it is Red Sparrow a couple of years later, mm-hmm. and I mean, she, of course, the Oscars and all this. So, um. It's it's just like Harry Potter, I think, and Twilight. Um, they made these actors, you know, larger than life, and with that's what's a ballad of songbirds and snakes because, um, I think one of the reasons why Hunger Games was as popular was you know it was that trilogy, and you knew that these characters were going somewhere. Whereas Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is just one novel. It isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know what. Split up into three parts. Yeah. So I mean, it's oh, going. You know, 
I don't know where it's headed. I mean, we can definitely discuss maybe a future of this franchise, but mm -hmm. that is one of the most fascinating things is that they went from making, you know, a trilogy of Hunger Games films um, to a quadrilogy of hun Hunger Games films, and now they're taking a book, a single book, a single prequel book, and adapting that into a single film. So... <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, and to me, like, uh, you know, and and to me, like, I feel like this movie, the Ballad of the Song, I actually really like it. I think it's a really good. I think it's a good stand. And I think, like, I've been hearing a lot of like this should have been split into two parts. That's you know, and 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 I'll let you guys you know debate me in just a second. But I really do feel like, you know, even if this movie was three this three and a half hours, just release it as one movie. Because I feel like if you would split this into two parts, I think you would lose some of like the the you would lose some of the like the fire of the story, if you will. Like part of the reason why this movie, like it was one novel instead of like multiple novels of you know uh, of President Snow's rise, Cornelius' Snow rise to power, is that you had to in one sitting sit and witness you know sit and read you know how this person became who lost his humanity and i feel like if you had split that into two parts i think you would have uh, i i feel like it would have just been very disgraceful to the book mm -hmm. um and also like this is the kind of movie where you kind of need to meditate on it you kind of need to sit and understand like how one person does lose their humanity over a period of time, you know, to like whatever the circumstances is. So, mm -hmm. and that's like why for me, like it was important just to stay is one story. Could they have figured out how to make it two hours? Could they have figured out how to make it in two parts? Could they have figured out how to, you know, give this movie more story, especially for that latter half of, or the last third of the movie? Yes, I 100% agree. I don't think you need to split this into two parts. I think you would just lose the bite in the fire if you would make, tell people, okay, um, we're going to stop here, come back in about six to 12 months to find out the rest of the story here. Like, you know, I think you would lose some of the, you know, energy or that you, that you would already have with this character. So, mm -hmm. but Carly, kind of starting with you, what do you think of, this now, this now, like generally, what the, what do you think of this adaptation? Oh, I think it's wonderful considering how much time they had um, with the runtime. I think everything about it, to the costumes, the visuals, the music, it was just wonderful. Um, um. I think it's better than the novel. And remember, I, I believe that mm. this is my second favorite um, Hunger Games novel. It's also my second favorite Hunger Games movie. Because mm -hmm. um, I still pref I still think... For me, like, the first Hunger Games movie, that's, like, the original Star Wars. And it's, like, it's... As much as, like, you know... Um, I want to say, you know, I do maybe like Empire Strikes Back more than the original Star Wars. It's like, that original Star Wars is the original Star Wars. It's like the foundational film. It's what 
brought everyone into that saga, into that, you know, love of that series. So, like, that's with the first Hunger Games. It's also that foundational film that brought everybody in. And I think with this novel, um, it's, it's a big, I mean, it's the big, it's the longest novel, I believe, in the series. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of that, I feel that's a daunting task to a, adapt. And um, Carly brought up a great point about like the runtime itself. I think the runtime works. Like I think that they found the right runtime for this movie. And I, I agree with Kale. I think that this film really shouldn't have been split into two parts. I feel like one of my criticisms with the first Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, is that there is no Hunger Games aspect to it, right? That in mm-hmm. District 13, the, in that area of um, Pan Am, and they just don't give you what I think you expect to get from that, from that series. And in that Mockingjay book, there is the Hunger Games aspect to it when they go and mm-hmm. influence the capital but that doesn't come into part two so you're watching a part one without that payoff and here i feel if they cut it into two parts that would have robbed people of the hunger games i think in the part two there wouldn't have been that hunger games aspect so um i've seen some people even mention maybe adapting it into a tv series which I think a TV series um, would be cool. Then again, I think any book can be adapted into a TV series. Um, But I don't think that it should have been adapted into a TV series. Like, it can be, but I'm perfectly fine with what they did with this film. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really love, we'll get into this, but I really love the actors. Because I think um, Nina Jacobson and um, all of like the casting, t- um, you know, directors that came on board to help and um, find these actors, they really did a perfect job at casting every single one of these um, actors, from Tom Blythe as Coriolanus Snow um, to Rachel Zegler as Lucy Gray Baird to Viola Davis as Dr. Valuna Gal, to Peter Dinklage as Dean Highbottom, to Josh Andres Rivera as um, Sejanus Plinth, to mm-hmm. Hunter Schaefer as Tigress Snow, <laughs> to, um, I mean, you can, I mean, oh, Jason Schwartzman as... Lucky Flickerman. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. I that that is definitely um, like the first film, which I also think was really well cast. Um, I think that that trend continues here, and I mean, if we want to get into it, like maybe we can discuss the actors themselves because for me, like this is Tom Blythe's movie. It's President Snow's movie, but I think this is like Tom Blythe's um, career-defining moment. Like this is the moment where I think Hollywood's gonna be like, "Oh, mm-hmm. this guy, 
we need to cast him in more things because he is just splendid in every scene. What did you guys think of um, Tom as Snow? Oh, he was wonderful. I think he captured what Donald Sutherland did as older Snow very well into a younger Snow. Like that energy he had, especially towards the end, and he was doesn't, what he had to do. Francis Lawrence said, we don't want you to be like um, imitating Donald in any way. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to, you know, just do an impression. Yeah, he held his own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, he ends up... He's he's so good in this role that you can see Donald's... Like, you can see this man becoming Donald Sutherland. And it's, you know, like, I, I agree. Like, he is... I mean, that, that transition from this movie to, I think, the man we see him in the first Hunger Games... It's just, um, you know, you can totally see it. For me, um, oh no, I love this cast. I really do. I think they, I think the thing that Life does really well here is like, he he still has this like, you know, fresh face. He still has this like, you know, he has this ability to be just like fresh and boyish. And then as the movie progresses and thanks to, you know, of course, makeup and hairstyling, you know, he becomes like this like hardened person. He becomes basically reborn, if you will, as he's like, you know, has his head shaved and then goes through like everything that happens. Like they, the movie and Tom Blythe himself do this really good job of like what I would descri- only, like I can only describe as like, you know, basically rebirthing. Yeah. Cornelius, because he comes, you know, he goes to school. He's, you know, he's all, you know, happy delight and all this, and, um, and but he ends this movie basically, you know, as a hardened adult. He <laughs> ends losing his humanity, if you will. And so, to me, I feel like you know his performance carries so well. Rachel Zegler also has some really great moments, especially in the third act, which we'll get to in a little bit. To go back to Tom for a minute, though, I do find it funny because I don't know how Suzanne Collins, you know, pictured this movie to go. I don't know if she was writing the book and because I believe the movie was announced when the book was announced, but probably. Mm. um, I think right before, wasn't it? The book came out. Well, from what I remember, it was like announced like. Suzanne Collins is writing a Hunger Games prequel, and that prequel will be turned into a movie in a couple of years. But I don't know if, like, when she was first writing it, if she had an idea that it would become a movie. But regardless, I think it's really funny how the curl... So, like, at first when we see Snow in the first two parts, he has these, like, long... these curls, and it makes him look younger, and then he... Um, shaves at um, at the third act, and you see him with this short hair that many people refer to as like Eminem. <laughs> but like that, uh, that look is so essential to his character because it really defines performance. He is, you know, way more boyish in the beginning, but then in the third act, he has that like maturity. Um, and he kind of reminds me of like a character from like, uh, 1917 or an All Quiet on the Western Front, 
by the end of the movie in it. I also love how if if we're just looking at this as one movie, if we're just looking at this as one book, it's almost like a classic in like literature. It's like this mm -hmm. is a story that we could see in like a red badge of courage or um, like Catcher in the Rye of like a young man and his coming of age. And that's something that we're not used to when it comes to a lot of these one um, YA stories, but also when it comes to like um, a prequel. Usually when they make prequels, when we look at Fantastic Beasts, when we look at Star Wars, when we look at Clan of the Apes, and we look at all the prequels made, it's usually like um, Hobbit, we, we see like trilogies, we see multiple mm -hmm. stories in this prequel. But to have like one singular story, it really to me feels like, like a classic in literature told on the big screen, and I dig it, and like, Tom, man, but um, I... Let we can let's talk about Rachel Zegler because um, <laughs> this movie has um, everyone's favorite actress. Yeah, um, <laughs> but like if this movie has like two sides of a coin, it is Tom and it is Rachel. Like they are the stars of this film, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And um, like Kale, I think you were going to talk a little bit more about Rachel. Well, I mean, what I do think Rachel has her moments here and I do and I have been loving like Rachel appearing in like Shazam 2 I think she's really good in that and then of course she broke out you know two years ago uh with West Side Story can't believe it's been two years I know. um I know all right I'm I really should think about retiring <laughs> uh and she was cast in that movie right before high school. She graduated high school. Like, she was literally about to do production of Shrek, and then she got cast, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I, and, I and, I, and I do love Zagler. I think she's got a really good presence. She does have movie star potential. Um, I do think her agent is doing her dirty by putting her in, like, Shazam 2 <laughs> as, like, not even a support, like barely a supporting character. <laughs> um, I do think, like, because because I've been, I'm looking at her like filmography now. It's not, not been again, and I understand West Side Story is not, you know, wasn't a huge movie, but it's like everyone was talking about her. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Like, everyone was talking about her, you know, and ever since then, it's just been like Shazam, Hunger Games, which. Hunger Games, I think, will do just fine. Like, it's now almost two hundred million worldwide on a hundred million dollar budget. It'll probably break even. You know, it's gonna be fine. And oh, she's in Snow White. Mm -hmm. I think she's got an animated film too. Yes. Coming. Yes. Uh, Spellbound. Yes. I think they're trying to get her into like as much of, like, the big blockbuster IPs as they can, like, right now. And, and like, we Y2K, which is, like, her A24 project. I think she might... Well, depending on how this goes, because, like, just, like, Tom, the, the difference between her and Tom is, like, she was in some really notable films prior um, as the lead, too, and, um, you know, West Side Story, but you have, I feel, this movie 
could make some studios be like, oh, wow, we should cast her in our next, you know, big movie. Because she has that movie star presence to her. And it's, mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see where they go. I, I would like to see her... I would like to see her in, like, a biopic or something where she's now kind of stripped away from, um, like, the fictional characters and actually maybe... Um, dabbling into nonfiction, so it's going to be interesting to see where she goes. I think she has a bright future ahead of her. I think that she's going to, be, um, you know, like I'll, I'm not going to say like she's going to be the next Jennifer Lawrence because mm-hmm. that's a very, very hard thing to do. Because um, Jennifer Lawrence started off with you know Winter's Bone and um, you know Silver Linings. Yeah, like with more of those indies and. Those types well, if you remember, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, she did an indie film, and then she did X-Men First Class, where she also is barely a supporting character. And, oh, um, I, I mean, look, I love Mystique in that movie, but let's be real here. She, you know, and, and then, great. and then she's, and then she's in Hunger Games, and then she really launched... And I think, you know, I think the Hunger Games success, she, I mean, in 2012, I mean, she really, that was really her year. Because mm-hmm. in 2012, she was in the Hunger Games, and then eight months later, she's in Silver Linings Playbook, where mm-hmm. I believe she won her first Oscar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then American Hustle, like, her collaboration with Bradley Cooper is, like, extensive. <laughs> yeah, it's... No, it, it's it's golden. I you know, and I understand. So I mean, she really launched. You know, she just had like this miracle year that I think Zegler just hasn't happened yet. You know, for whatever reason. You know, and of course, that's a good thing because if I feel like that is a bit too daunting. You know, for a young actress. Though then again, um, it is hard when you know with all the bullying and. Like, that is also something that's really hard to deal with too so yeah i don't know like what I, I didn't have social i didn't have twitter back in 2012 but i but i don't remember like i don't remember any uh any of this kind of hatred for jennifer lawrence back then i know people were starting to like poo-poo on her you know in the mid 2015 or mid 2010s because uh, I guess Brian Singer told a bunch of people that she was difficult. <laughs> and then when you look back, it's like, oh no, you were the difficult person. <laughs> um, so, so, so I feel like, you know, you know, I feel like she had that time where, you know, everyone thought she was just being difficult and she's being difficult with Chris mm-hmm. Pratt. And it's like, oh wait, no, you know, Singer, Russell, uh, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to throw Pratt under the bus, but like, it just seemed like you know, it, it just seemed like the people she was get, getting like roped in with are like people that are just like complete. They they just have no, they're just they just kind of are lucky by false like they're not as competent as they uh, come out to be. Mm-hmm. And of course Jennifer Lawrence is like, look, I mean, come on, yeah, <laughs> like you know, make a decision. <laughs> So, but that's that's the end of my like, you know, Lawrence parade. I think um, Rachel Zegler in this movie, I really love her com- um, her chemistry with Tom. 
because that is, I think, key to this whole entire story. You have to believe that these characters do like each other, and I think both of these actors sell that really, really well. Yeah, because Lucy Gray Baird, her character is, like, such a mystery in it. Like, you don't really know that much about her in terms of, like, where she comes from. Like, you do get some, but you don't get, like, the whole, not, like, Katniss level, what you know about her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an, also an intriguing part, especially with, you know, her being with the Covey and everything and not even a part of District 12. To begin with. Yeah. Well, and also you have to believe, like, you know, she really is a songbird. This, you know, this guiding light, this, you know, beacon of hope and light and everything. You know, she's kind of like Daisy from um, The Great Gatsby. Mm -hmm. You know, she's she's very much like, you know, this object, you know. And, of course, as the movie goes on she gains more and more of her agency as she's with her own people. You know, what's what's one of the best, like, to me, one of the best things about this movie is how much, again, the games, like, not only take, you know, everything away from their, you know, from their, they don't, they, they don't just take your humanity away, they take your agency away, because mm-hmm. now she is at the mercy of Snow. Yeah. Um, for a good chunk of this movie. Like, she holds her own during certain sections but for the most part, especially at the end of the games, she really is like at the mercy of of Snow. Um, she doesn't understand why, but in it becomes more obvious, like as like he becomes more like you know protective and guardian ish, and it really comes down to he doesn't really oh he probably doesn't understand how to talk to women, <laughs> yeah. how to like. Like, see a woman more yeah. than just, you know, this, than an object. I think that's where the Olivia Rodrigo song comes in to the story towards the end. And that song is very interesting because I didn't realize how well it fit towards the story towards the end with her character. And mm-hmm. what progresses with how she is at the beginning with Snow. One it's of like my, a arc. One of my- <laughs> things I read about that song, You Can't Catch Me Now, is that it is essentially a song that Grey Bear would have sung if, you know, she was still alive, you know, singing song Mm -hmm. after the movie. Now, it is up to whether you think she's alive or she's dead. Mm -hmm. Um, Rachel Regler actually believes she is alive. Um, so that, that's a lot of I like. Can't Catch Me Now it's like the opposite of Pure as the Driven Snow they're like complete different yeah. opposites of each other yeah in terms uh, of how they're written and what they're about <laughs> well the way and so not to completely jump all the way to the second third of the, or the last third of this movie I think the last third of this movie is the most interesting part because Mm -hmm. like that's where all of this, like that's where she, like that's where everything kind of comes to a head. Everything kind of like the relationships, the, you know, the, the, the politics, everything, the drama, the characters, the, maybe there's a rebellion, you know, there's all this stuff kind of comes into a head and it becomes this kind of interesting story 
you know, to see how Lucy Gray, you know, ultimately realizes that the man she, you know, she trusts, you know, and she thinks she loves is ultimately nothing more than a killer is ultimately mm-hmm. nothing more than, you know, cause he, and she's starting to put it together more and more and more as the, as like that, the movie goes along, but she's realizing that she's in danger, you know, of being, you know, basically a possessed, a person that is going to be possessed the rest of her life in possessed mm-hmm. in fear and danger. And, you know, and I do, and again, like Francis Lawrence mentioned this, you know, I think in an interview, like, his favorite line in the book is, you know, I'm not made of sugar. Mm. <laughs> I there's love so that many line on, too. There's so many entendres and the way even Ziegler just says it, it's like, mm-hmm. there's so many entendres. Like, you know, he, like he keeps treating, like, you know, Snow keeps treating, you know, her like, you know, glass or sugar, you know, like this fragile thing. And he reassures her, you know, no. You know, like, it's almost like she's giving him permission to leave, Mm -hmm. to go on, you know, and I I don't know, like, there's just something about that last scene where they're in the cabin. It's just like, the more I stew and the more I think about it, I'm like, there's so many entendres here. Like, I do think she might have been shot, but I think, but in my head canon, and also I have this rule for everything, like, if we don't see the person die... Mm -hmm you know, like, actually, like, die, die on screen, they're not dead. Like... Yeah, I agree with you, Kale. Like, I think she probably was shot, but not enough to, like, kill her. I think. It may have been, like, in the foot or something, where not like a art, but not like a organ where you would die immediately. I mean, she is out in the woods by herself, but I... But, and I do think the most telling thing is, and that's not even to me the most important detail of the, the scene. The more, most important thing is that, you know, she uses the mocking jays to mm-hmm. like basically, like, you know, guilt to, as a distraction and a diversion, but also they function as like this guilt, like this, you know, this mountain of guilt that he now has of being like, you know, I, of chasing, you know, the woman he loves. Like, mm-hmm. And even wounding her in a way. So, well, and there's the whole thing about was it a hallucination? Because with the snake bite, too. And did did he like imagine him shooting her, or was it actually real? Like we we don't know the with the way the movie frames it. I don't know about the book because I have I haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah, the, that is true. The book, um, the book doesn't exactly, you know use that I mean it's pretty much like what happened in the movie is mm-hmm. really adapted almost exactly um in the book though is shown that she's like singing mm-hmm. and the birds then like the mockingjays then pick up her song Mm-hmm. So like she is still alive, but then, then she gets away. But it, like, it's once again as in, left ambiguous. You know, did she live? Did she die? Mm-hmm. And I think the point at the end of the day isn't really if she lived or if she died. It's that you know she affected him, right? Like, and she 
she even if she died, she escaped Snow. She was able to escape being imprisoned mm -hmm. by him, which was probably where her character would have gone if she did stay with him in the capital. Um, he would not have let her, you know, go to the It would have been another prison. It's... It would have been another Hunger Games, if you will. Exactly. Like, because, and also, the, the capital, the people of the capital, they see everyone outside as, like, subhuman. They see them as, like, people that don't they just live on the fringes like almost mm -hmm. worse than gypsies you know and yeah, like that scene with the with gail when the peacekeeper is about to strike him in katniss he doesn't see gail even as human either um which was really interesting what's funny um, is though in the book it does mention has like a little bit after he returned um to the uh, um, peacekeeper, you know, a bunk um, bunker, and when like he's contemplating his future, and he says in the book, like, "I'm going to marry a woman that I hate. I'm going to marry a woman that I do not love at all, and that way I won't become you know, vulnerable like I became with Lucy Gray." Um, like, even offers like one of the one of his classmates. Like, one of his classmates that we saw in the movie, um, he's like, maybe she will be my wife. She will be good enough. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's like, oh my god, like, he's starting to have that happen to him. One of the reasons why I actually do prefer the movie more than the book, because I do think the book kind of tries to connect the dots a little bit faster than the movie does and to its fault because like it even talks about how it comes up with for like the next Hunger game many of the rules and regulations that we see in the later movies and it's kind mm -hmm. of like um debate people have had with indiana jones and Wade, where it's like in the first like 15 minutes of the movie which is a flashback Indiana Jones becomes Indiana Jones in like a day. He gets his hat, he gets his whip, he gets um, he gets a scar, he gets his fear of snakes, and that's kind of like what the it's a massive day for Indiana Jones. It, it's it's what the book does for Snow at the um in the last couple of pages, but I appreciate how the movie I think does a really good job at giving us a taste of what's to come. Mm -hmm. But not doing it in a way where I feel it's like a desperate ploy, mm -hmm. like and when they reference Katniss, because that's one of like the mm -hmm. one of my favorite scenes in the movie when she's like, "Oh, we just picked up some Katniss," and like you even hear her theme from the original trilogy, quadrilogy, mm -hmm. and it's like that makes sense because they're in her district. This would be what she was named after, and there's this like eerie quality to this film where it's acting as if like these are ghosts of the past and ghosts of our future so to have you know katniss the plant itself um what is it called like the film uh, in the book it's like these swamp potatoes yeah um, it's mm -hmm. have that actually you know somewhat be a part of his life in that 
in that one scene or a couple of scenes, even when she says at the end, I'm going to go pick out some Katniss, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's a part of him. And that's going to be a part of his future, which I really love. One of my favorites is when, towards the end, when they're in the cabin, when they're walking and she asks him about the people he's killed. And he let it slip that it's three. And she asks him, I only know about two. Who's the third one? And he's like, I killed myself. I killed my other self. I thought that was most like Donald Sutherland Snow than anything (laughs) in that moment. Like to me, like one of the things that I do love about towards the end of the story is how like it just keeps going and it keeps like you know evolving and evolving and even like so he kills his mentor he kills uh and basically joins with uh crazy viola davis in (laughs) i have to talk about viola davis that is a like you know she i I mentioned on a podcast earlier or on a space earlier that uh viola davis she likes she's liking like she loves to act like like she likes to like give a performance like her characters are like cats mm-hmm. like they don't like you don't like with a cat you never know if they're gonna pounce or if they're just gonna sit there and just take it and this is the most cat like performance she's <laughs> ever given in any yeah. of her movies didn't she say that she kind of took after gene wilder's willy wonka didn't she I, say that like I, a fucked up gene a fucked up willy wonka i think yeah. that may have been that might not have been true. I don't know if that was oh. the right quote, but I mean, I can maybe get some similarities there if if she did say that. Um, yeah, but I thought- this is her first like evil, evil role. I think like pure evil. I mean, how to like how to catch a murder? Like you know, it's debatable if she's like just like fucking evil or not um it's a debatable like because she goes from like you know cold to like emotionally like like if you watch that show it's very much like you know but i mean well she is a villain in the suicide squad like she's in she's you know amanda Um, waller but this is i think this is a whole new i think performance for her because it's something that Mm -hmm. uh, she is she has to wear a, a fake eye yeah, like, she, she is terrifying at times in this film. Like, especially yeah. my favorite scenes is with the snake tank, and when she tells um, Clemencia to put her hand in there, because if that's your writing, then they'll recognize your scent. And and I mean, it's, that part it, scared me in the yeah. theater. Cause it was so loud because of the 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 system, the sound system they had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's different in the book because in the book Clemencia survives. She um oh um there's this one sequence where when Snow's in the hospital after the bombing, um he sees mm-hmm. her. Do my parents know I'm alive? Do they know what happened to me? Please let them know. And, like, her face is, like, peeling off, like, some stuff is wrong. And then, then she actually does survive, and she ends up being there at the Hunger Games. They are, you know, looking at their at their tributes. And um, 
in the book when the snakes are unleashed at the very end of the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. she like screams and then um, Snow like embraces her and says, "Don't worry, they're not here. It'll be okay." And I find it one of the most interesting things that they cut from the film because mm. it did give her character more stuff to do and there was that unique aspect of um, seeing, I think, Snow Of be- dread. Yeah, but also Snow being a little bit yeah. more sorrowful, sorrowful for what happened to her. But mm-hmm. I also like the change they made in the movie because you can just assume she was killed and it makes, I think, Dr. Gall look even worse because it, I mean the mm-hmm. fact that she'll let a child actually die is um yeah you know, she says she wants to release a rainbow of destruction which is yeah. really interesting considering one of Lucy Gray's dresses is rainbow pattern <laughs> yeah mm. So, let's talk about the Hunger Games then. There's some Hunger Game action in this movie. It's all one arena. It's not like a whole forest or a beautiful tropical island. It's one beautiful... It's this one, like, gladiator-style arena. I kind of like, you know, how it's all in one place. And also, I kind of like the... I really like how everything... The action is directed. Like, this is the best... On wide a Hunger Games sequence has mm-hmm. looked. Good. It's shot on a wide lens. Yeah. It's a lot of hand-to-hand combat because the capital hadn't figured out the technology yet. You see that with the water drones things that they try to give out yeah. that doesn't work quite yet. You know, if we can go down like with everything that happens, like I really love the beginning of it because... Um, well, first off, there's this one sequence. Well, there's one sh- scene where, like, Wovie, he's like the little girl, um, mm-hmm. that is. I mean, because like if you look at the first movie with the Rue, there was something you know really, really heartbreaking about seeing an actual you know child be a part of this, and you know yeah. what would happen to her. And he here, was just so young. Yeah. yeah. Wovi acts in a similar way, but I find it interesting how like she goes to hold Lucy Gray's hand and then the the peacekeepers or the guards they push her away. It's like really That nothing. broke my heart. Yeah. And then you see that entire sequence where like Lucy Gray's trying to find um a Marcus, the other um not Marcus, um, um, the other district, Jessup, I think that was his name. Yeah, her, her other, mm-hmm. her fellow tribute with her, she yeah. Up, um, the other uh, tribute, um, from her district, and, like, she's just searching, for him. she's like, where is he, where is he, and then mm-hmm. it's, like, the way the camera's moving, there's a wide lens, but then there's also, like, these really, like, quick, um, yeah. hands to, like, where she's looking is really good, but it's not like, you know, the first Hunger Games where it was very sh- much shaky cam, like, this is um, very clear to see, and you also get to see, I think, the brutality of this, because unlike the first, um, unlike the original films, they are using, um, you know, the, I mean, they, 
Well, technically, I mean, it's essentially the same way of thinking, because, like, the original, they also had, like, swords, they had axes, mm-hmm. they had um, bows and arrows, so it wasn't exactly like they had guns or anything, but uh, there's, like, mm-hmm. a because it's not, it's not like the first movies where, like, they would have these genetically happening. The only thing that... Yeah. And is snake, but there isn't like poison gas or or like they could create dogs out of nowhere that could chase you basically. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like you know in this one like it's just a good taste, and also what you get to see is like you know so in the Hunger Games movies like in the like the first and second movie, you get to see, like, that the tributes are actually, like, treated, like, you know, they get to eat. Yeah. They get to, uh, they get to, like, train, like, for, like, like if they're, you know, American gladiators. They, mm-hmm. they get to train and practice their skills, and then they get to, you know, actually do more. And here, it's like, of course no one's watching. They're just watching a bunch of animals. You're, you're treating these people like animals. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not creating you know, the spectacle, you're not creating any spectacle, you're not creating a showmanship, and, you know, so you don't have any attachments to these people, so it's like, Mm -hmm. of course it's not working. Yeah, and you see in the course where their their mentors, when they see all the violence happening, they get get physically affected by it. Some of them had to run out because they got sick. It's very interesting what they do with this. Um, and even Portia Janis standing up in that moment, too, is just really sad. Because, um, you know, he wanted to do the right thing, but he just couldn't. He couldn't find a way to make it right. Mm-hmm. So Janis is a very interesting character because he's like, um, he's that character that in a lot of, like, fiction, you know, the the main character has to betray or, you know, the age-old story of betrayal and yeah. I, it works really well in Sejanus' favorite. Sejanus is kind of like our, like the audience itself. Like, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. You're, you're all monsters. He's, he's kind of like Joanna from Catching Fire in that way when she when she basically yells at the Capitol saying, F you guys. In that moment. Well, well, it's, he's, like, he's very much of the, you know, he's the one opposer. Like, he's the one person that's like, you know, no, we shouldn't be doing these games. It's been 10 years. Mm -hmm. They've been punished enough. Let's end it. And the great moment in this movie is when, you know, President Snow, like, no, the reason the games aren't working is, like, he, he makes it even worse. Like, he makes it... Even, like, worse. Like, we don't have any connection to the, you know... Like, no one's building any connection. And it's, like... And also, it's a moment where that character, like, you know, that that character, you know, he really should just be, like, we are not friends. You still want these games to just go on. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting commentary on wealth and the different class systems, especially in this world, because Janice is from the district, from District mm-hmm. 2, and at least the book does, I think, a better job at explaining 
the background of Sejanus, because, like, essentially the way it worked is Corio Snow was part of, you know, one of the wealthiest families in the capital, and then when District 13 was bombed, all of their money that they were profiting off of, like, the miners in District 13 and all their, like, um, essentials in District 13 was gone, and they became, um, not bankrupt, but that they were essentially really, um, low on money, and, um, that is something that the Snows are facing in this movie, the reasons why That's Snows how the book opens, with, um, him eating cabbage soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's a point in the movie where giving Lucy a cracker, and she's like, you look like you want some, and a really fascinating depiction. Well, Sejanus, he's part of a family that came from the districts. They actually, um, they, um, earned their wealth. Like, they worked and worked and worked until they got to the point where they can now live in the capital. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, the, I, I think that's one of the really, really um, fascinating parts of this movie. It's two kids from two different types of um, class systems working their way to the top. Mm -hmm. And that ends up getting in the way of both of their, um, you know, journeys. Especially with, like, Snow, because Snow is, you know, he's like, I might want to live with Lucy Gray, but... The problem is, is that Lucy Gray, a lot of the things we learn about Snow is that he's done a lot of this just for himself. As much as he wants to say that, you know, I saved Lucy Gray, I helped her in the Hunger Games, a lot of this was just so that I could get this plinth prize. I could, you know, get the money to help her family out. I can go to a university. And by the end of the movie, when we get to the point where it's, you know, him with Lucy Gray in the, you know, in the cabin. It's like, now she's not benefiting me. She's now mm -hmm. actually hindering me from where I want to go. And um, that is when her selfishness comes into play. Yeah. I do think there was some sort of attraction between them, but oh, yeah. I... I I truly do think he wanted oh, yeah. the money first and foremost. It wins if she had when she wins the game. Yeah, what do mm -hmm. you Um Wait, what's the question again? I'm sorry. Um Do you think it... there was really an, an attraction between Snow and Lucy Gray? Or I think she... there was. Yeah. I think at first she's, you know, I think for her, I think she's definitely, the way I would describe it is, like, I think she kind of, like, you know, she loves him, like, as, like, you know, like, oh, you know, he's, like, a good friend. Like, he, he helped me along the way. I don't think she, like, truly, truly did, like, love him, mm -hmm. like, in the way that he did. Mm -hmm. He loved her, but I think it's... But I think, you know, in the end, like, she was willing to go. And then once, like, everything kind of started to piece together of, like, how, you know, how 
cold he is towards his friend being hanged, how, you know, like, 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 you know, how he was able to just like shoot, you know, the two, the, the two people, you know, I mean, the mayor's daughter and all that. Like, mm-hmm. I think like once all of that kind of came together for her, it was like, oh, this person's a dangerous person. Like, this mm-hmm. is not just, you know, someone who just helped me from the games and is willing to just like pack up and leave everything. This is a guy who's just like, you know, is just like, this guy is just like, I'm basically an excuse for him to just still be a human being. I mean, like, you get to the point where literally, like, the first time he sees after, you know, the Hunger Games happens, he's prone to violence, and it's just him mm-hmm. beating up that guy in the, um, in the hob, in the, um, in the was it a bar i guess you could say um oh yeah lucy gray's old boyfriend I yeah guess. yeah because like, he tries to get up tries to talk to her when she's on stage and choreo like yeah snatches him yeah exactly so i think that is a sign that you know he is someone that you know is really he has his flaws, but I think throughout that third act, she's still somewhat clinging on to him because I also do believe like they did love each other, but it wasn't mm-hmm. um, like they were in a position at the time when she was, you know, it's, it's horrible to say, but she was like his pet in a way, you know, like, mm-hmm. like my Lucy Gray, the, my tribute that I have to take care of. And then, once they were freed from that relationship and they tried to pursue their own relationship from the, um, like outside of the capital shackles and such, it, it just doesn't work. And I think that's also telling of other like real relationships where like sometimes when you're in a real relationship, you know, the more you get to know somebody, the, the less you might not care Mm -hmm. for them. And, um, I think that that worked really well. I think that that was because um, I think for me, I really do love those scenes, especially when she's in the zoo and they're like really getting to know each other. And like, I really like once again, I buy their chemistry. I really think that they did that really well. Yeah. yeah. And that scene when she's singing, nothing you can take away from me. And she sees him and her face lights up. I'm like, yeah, you, there's some, yeah. Well, and Pierre is a driven snow as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful song. Just the way, it still amazes me that all those songs were live takes. Mm, exactly. So, kind of moving forward, um... What what about what else did we also kind of pine in this movie? Because I feel like we're, cause I, I feel like this is Tigress. Mm. I love Hunter Schaefer. Yeah. I think she needs to be in more stuff. Yeah. Um. And yeah, no, I think yeah, great performance. Really wish I can If anything, like I wish Tigress would be more. Um, I really want Tigress to kind of be more, you know, I if they're going to make more movies, like her, like kind of be, you know, 
in the background or something. Yeah. yeah, it'd be cool to see more of her backstory and like where she comes from this to where she is in um, Mockingjay. You know, that mm-hmm. that could be a direction they go in because mm-hmm. maybe they, they tell the in-between story, you know, of um, Ballad and what happens between Ballad and Hunger Games and it's through Tigress's eyes. So... It's not necessarily a President Snow story, mm-hmm. but he's in it. But it can be seen through Tigress's eyes. Um, that would be an interesting, interesting direction for the um, series. I do think that Hunter Schaefer um, is a fantastic actress. I mean, Euphoria, and then to see her here, um, I think that that one scene like at the end when you know she says you look like your father and she, mm-hmm. you see like her eyes it's like whoa whoa <laughs> so yeah she, she's like this is not the same man i knew from yeah. my childhood yeah can we talk about um peter dinklage because oh yes yeah, dean highbottom yeah peter dinklage who is completely who's completely fucked jennifer lawrence's life twice <laughs> in two different franchises. Um, love his performance. It's really great. And I love the ending, you know, where he's like, you know, I created the Hunger Games, but really it was your father's idea. Like, yeah. your father. <laughs> it was a drunken, it was when I was drunk and we were having, like, we were just out of our minds and never and thought it would happen. It. Yeah. Oof, that's such a chilling, like, just saying, just like, yeah. Like, gosh. Um, so, and that's like, and to me, that's like become the thing of the hangs over. And of course, he's the one, because he's like a morphine addict, he like takes the morphine, pet, like, drink and is poisoned. I mean, he, mm-hmm. it's such a, like, poetic way to end the franchise. Like, this guy will now know he is going to die knowing his like creation is going to live on and become even worse. Mm. Like that is a really sick way to go. I just, that last line that snow has about snow always lands on top was really fascinating too. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's the, name of the track the james newton howard's track for it too is snowlands on top i'm pretty sure that plays at that moment the final um, track for the film yeah which is as i've seen many people discuss it is also (laughs) the same theme that ends mockingjay part one it is Mm. looks upon Peta, and um that I mean, it's one of my favorite tracks from the Hunger Games series, and um, I really love James Newton Howard's score here because he interweaves, you know, the original themes, and mm-hmm. he adds some new ones, like um, Lucy Gray's theme that we um, sometimes hear, um, and I think that it, it helps that, you know, you have friends. Florence returning, you have James Newton Howard returning, it really does feel like a return to the world that we um, love from the original films. Mm-hmm. And Michael Arden also is back 
back in the fold who wrote a lot of, who wrote Catching Fire, which um, is a lot of people's favorite, you know, cat, you know, Hunger Games series. So it was like it was it was all like it's like everybody coming home. It was like a homecoming, like everyone just coming back to do one more movie or maybe more, multiple movies. We'll see. I mean, mm-hmm. Frank, Francis Lawrence has said like he will come back, you know, to as many entries as possible. Yeah. But he wants Susan Collins to like write the book and then, you know, be heavily like he wants it to feel like a natural thing from her rather than they create it like organic or they create it, yeah. you know, you know, without her. Susanna doesn't strike me as an author who would do things for cash grabs. She she truly would write it if she had something to say. Like Right. And I think for, for Suzanne, like she or Ms. Col- or for Collins, it's very much like she's made her money, she's doing, you know, great. You know, mm-hmm. she writes other things. So I feel like for her it 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 only would make sense if like there was other if there was something to tell. And I think for Snow there was something to tell. It's a meditation on how evil is born, you know, you know, under the you know, worse under the best and worst of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so but I kind of wanna to pivot to you guys as we kind of get close to closing out here. Um, starting with you, Carly, what would you want to see if they do another, like, what would be something that would excite you to come back to another, this world of Hunger Games, the the world of Pandemic? I would like to see a Hamish story about when he was younger as well. And maybe Gale, too, more of Gale's backstory, because we didn't really see much of Gale's, how he, his family and everything too and tigress like i said about how she what her life was like between after ballads to mocking jay okay uh kyle i'm actually kind of like the opposite of car here where i want to see new characters um for the hunger games because i think that for me as much as i do love these characters like Mitch, um, like Gale, like, um, even, like, I've seen people float around Finnick and, um, Joanna, like, a number of these other ones, I think that it would be really cool to see Hunger Games from the viewpoint of characters that are completely unrelated to the story itself. Now, the thing is, is it's not that long of a story, it's only, like, 70 years of a Hunger Games, so... There will be characters like a snow, like a, you know, um, you know, like the the Hamish that might go up around along the way, but it's it's I'm very fascinated where this franchise and this IP will go, right? Because it's not like you know, um, Harry Potter or these other like other franchises where. There's a lot of story to tell in the history. Like, The Hunger Games itself is like a dystopian novel where, like, our our history happened, and this happens after a war. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, there are 70 years of The Hunger Games. And then it... So, I mean, would they do a sequel to The Hunger Games where, like, Katniss lives her life and maybe a new threat emerges... 
I don't know. But I feel like people wouldn't want to see something unless it's like the Hunger Games, because that's mm-hmm. where the franchise is most known for. Just like I feel like the Potter franchise is most known for like Hogwarts and the Wizarding School, and like Lord of the Rings is most known for like the journey of dwarves and elves and orcs. So I don't know, but I would like to see maybe like a story where it's like, you know, in between, you know, Ballad and Hunger Games, whether it's focused on new characters or even what even what um Carly mentioned, what the more maybe Tyrus go into her character after this, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, I, I'm i going to go a little bit with Carr here. I would love to see the Hunger Games that Kamich did. Just because I feel like that's such an important like character study of like how this child... Because I believe, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, Kamich was a young kid. Kamich was like a preteen, like a 12, 13-year-old kid. Yeah, I think he was about 12 to 14, I think. And to me, I would like to kind of see that Hunger Games, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel like in Catching Fire, it's touched on, and the way that unfolds, it's such a compelling, like, way, you know, to tell the story. It's such a compelling way to kind of, like, see how this one person, A, like, he survives, but he's the true loser. Like, he's mm-hmm. the true, because now he has to live with the guilt of killing someone, you know, by accident, like, through circum, like, weird circumstances. And then he has to watch, like, every person, like, that goes through the games, like, for the next, like, 30 years or so, mm-hmm. like, get brutally murdered. You know, I mean, I kind of just love that idea of, like, this, it just evolves and evolves and evolves more. And then I kind of like to see a District 13 movie, like, to see, like, what's been going on. Mm-hmm over time like you know and and the one thing i will say though is don't do a sequel to this mm-hmm. or a straight sequel to this like we don't need i think we can put enough there's enough in this movie to where we can kind of put together how this one guy how snow goes from this guy to basically the old man in hunter games mm-hmm. so i think there's enough here just go explore other characters. Like, don't. Mm-hmm. In fact, just do a trilogy of spinoffs. Like, do a trilogy of other stories that are all like loosely connected. Honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing more of the members of the Covey, either. Um, from this movie, that'd be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um. Other than that, like, I think. Have we covered everything with Hunger Games? Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds? <laughs> um, I think pretty much. Um, I think so. Kyle, do you have anything else? Um, I... Is there anything else to discuss with this film? I don't... I can't really think of much. All I will say is that I do think that they... That based on, like, a book to movie adaptation, there are differences. But I think they captured the... the Everything that Suzanne Collins was trying to go for with that book. And they did it really well. 
And I also just, as I said before, I love the performances, how they really add, you know, I think even more to what the page offers, um, especially Tom and that seeing their presence on screen adds like a face to Lucy Gray and Corio mm-hmm. that, you know, I, like when I'm reading a book, I'm trying to picture who could play these roles and I'm kind of like trying to picture a younger Donald Sutherland. But it's a whole other thing when you're actually watching actors perform these roles. And um, I think that that the story itself really complements the franchise. And it's not one... I don't believe it's one of those prequels where it... Like, I do think that this film is better than every single Hunger Games movie except for the first film. Mm-hmm. I think that it has a lot of great sequences. It also does a really good job at... Um, taking like a character study of snow and it isn't afraid to make him out to be you know, a villain like sometimes when we see movies based on like the villain they end up making it like an anti-hero but this movie at the end of the day snow is is like a bad guy like he does have his you know moments of maybe he can be good maybe he can do some good things but I think the film never like shies away from the fact that this is a man that's going to achieve everything he's going to achieve with poison, with corruption, with murder. And um, I think that the film does give us a good introduction to that character. Um, and I mean, I'm, I, I hope they don't continue it. Right? Like I, I hope we don't see anything about Lucy Gray in the future. Cause I feel like, <laughs> Leave it ambiguous. Let her, let her be free. But I don't know. Like I don't know where they will go after this. I'm just. I just know that I'll be there first in line for whatever movie they make and whatever mm-hmm. book they write because it's one of the best series right now. You know. Yeah. Well, it's the one that just like it's the most positive. It's the one that keeps being rewarding. I mean, even if you want to like go into like you know from basically going from the a main trilogy to a prequel um i would argue this is better than fantastic beasts like the first one so mm. um i i you know so i think they're on a good path and i think they are making the best decision of like just do one and if suzanne collins has another one we'll make that one mm-hmm. you know i think they've made like the best decision even though Lionsgate, i'm sure they're probably like please just please like keep giving us more and more and more but i think they're making the best decision just by kind of letting suzanne kind of be like still like the architect of the franchise i do Um, think with the world of panem it is incredibly well written and very like it's probably one of the most realistic world buildings in terms of the dystopian i think Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, the humanity aspect of it, um, and, like, how the districts work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, with that, I think we can put a book in to this, to this podcast. Um, no, the pun was not intended. Um, <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Uh, Carly, I'm going to start with you. Where can the good people find you on Twitter? Um, yeah. And other, you know, anything you want to plug? 
So I believe my Twitter is at Bway underscore Carly. I think is what it is. I'll have to look to make sure. <laughs> All right, I'll put it, I'll put it in the description below. So, but that's where you can find Carly. And then Kyle, um, uh, do you have anything to plug? And what's your uh, what are your social media plugins? Yeah, you can find me on um, Twitter. That's at Arkin Kyle. That's capital A R K I A Y L E. And um, my YouTube channel is Kyle Arkin. Um, I most recently posted you for the Marvels, so you can check that one out there. Um, I might do. I might be doing one for um Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So, you know. Um, be on the lookout. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, and then you can find me on Twitter at Movie Kale. Um, we are entering into the holiday movie season. We have finished the Michael Mann series for From the Top uh, for now um, until Ferrari comes out. Um, other than that, um, just stay tuned for the next episode. I think it will either be uh, Saltburn or Napoleon. Maybe we do a combo. We don't know. <laughs> Um, thanks everyone. We'll be back with you, uh, within a couple days. You seem like a good man, Coralina Snow. I have seen what war does to people. Fueled with the terror of becoming prey. See how quickly we become predator? I want my enemies to see a rainbow of destruction. Engulfing the world. Good luck with that poor little songbird. Where is she? It's a mystery. And mysteries have a way of driving people mad. <laughs> Mr. Snow, let me ask you one final time. What are the Hunger Games for? It's the things we love.